The following is a Super Spectrum Radio production. Since 1972, Carl Kolchak has reported on the strange and unusual. Las Vegas, Seattle, and Chicago have been just a few of his beats with Kolchak continuously finding himself face to face with vampires, werewolves, phantoms, and all manner of creature that goes bump in the night. I'm your host, Jason Stevens, and this is the Kolchak Legacy Podcast. So when you have finished this bizarre account, judge for yourself its believability. And then try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, it couldn't happen here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Kolchak Legacy Podcast, the podcast all things Carl Kolchak and his universe of the supernatural. I'm your host, Jason Stevens, and tonight we are covering the second made-for-TV movie, The Night Strangler. And with me, once again, is my friend Matt Pierce, who is becoming a Kolchak fan, and this is his very first time, very first time witnessing The Night Strangler, We watched it in full right before we recorded. Give me your basic thoughts of the overall, as I'm sure we'll get into everything. So it's everything the first movie was, but better. Turn to 11. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fair fair enough. Fair enough. So let's do it. Let's get into The Night Strangler. From the handy-dandy Wikipedia, The Night Strangler is an American made-for-television horror film which first aired on ABC on January 16th, 1973 as a sequel to to the Night Stalker. In the film, an investigative reporter assigned to a series of killings comes to suspect the murderer is an immortal with superhuman strength, as one does. Yeah. Yeah. I often think that there are immortals running around strangling people, I guess. I don't know. I gotta say, I think that using this, the vampire in the Night Stalker, Mm -hmm. I think is a pretty straightforward story. The explanation of who this murderer is later is much more convoluted and intricate than a vampire. Yeah. By far. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities between the two. Not something I've seen a lot of people use as far as movies and shows and things use as far as... I mean, I guess the X-Files kind of did it with the fluke man. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's not really, oh, I'm immortal and to stay immortal, I got to, you know, go do things or, like, kill people or eat their... No, he was just drinking their blood. But mm-hmm. So, it was unique. Uh, not that many stories has done that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's 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 very cool. We're going to start things off. We're going to go through the basis of the deal. And also to get this out of the way, this is the second episode. And I am I know we've had a lot of people listen to the first one. I hope everybody liked it. I have been getting messages from several people saying that they have watched Night Stalker for the very first time. And I think that's so rad that people are taking a chance on Kolchak because they've listened to this podcast. And they're like, what the hell is this show you're talking about or spending your time talking about? I will say that if you are looking for a super super intricate, in-depth look at every episode and every cast member and the things they did in the past, we will probably not be doing that a whole lot on here. Not because I don't think it's important. It's just because I just want, I want to build new fans of this series. I just want to get into the subject matter, the universe, the fiction of these movies And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be covering this hot and heavy. Also, I definitely have an aversion to podcasts that talk about a movie or TV show that are longer 
than that movie or TV show. While I think that is fine, it's just not my jam. Let's get into some Night Strangler. Reporter Carl Kochak of Seattle, Washington in this one is assigned by his editor Tony Vincenzo to cover a series of killings in which the victims, all exotic dancers, and by exotic dancers we mean belly dancers, are strangled. Kolchak learns from the coroner's report that the victims' necks were actually crushed, a feat no human is strong enough to accomplish. They were drained of a few ounces of blood, and there were traces of rotting flesh on their necks. Now there's a lot in that, but what it doesn't talk about is the beginning of this movie and how Tony and Carl meet back up in the reporter's bar there in Seattle. Tony Vincenzo, a hard day at work, getting a big old glass of milk for those ulcers. And he hears the maniac ravings of Carl Kolchak, who is doing his best to tell anyone in arm's reach about the case of a real vampire. Yes, and he has a mock-up of a paper that like shows a story. He's just he's raining at people. Everybody starts looking at him, not for the last time in this movie. And he tells them he's okay, but he's 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 not. He's frustrated. You can tell that he has told this story to many people. Mm-hmm. No one's believed him. He's at wit's end. He knows he sounds crazy, but he's not going to stop trying to tell the truth. And Tony Vincenzo comes up and, of course, Carl, a little accusatory of him initially. And Tony's like, I didn't fire you from Vegas, Carl, because he didn't. No. The police kicked him out and tried to say they'd frame him for murder, which isn't really a frame when you actually do the murder. And so he's like, well, Tony, that means you can hire me. So Tony has left Vegas for reasons unknown, moved to Seattle, editor of a newspaper, the Daily Chronicle, has a stuck-up boss, and now has Carl Kolchak back working for him, knowing immediately it's going to go bad. And Carl asks what his first case is, and he's like, ah, we got a murder of a lady strangled in the alley. Carl's ready to rock. Yep. He does tell him, I think, just go report it. Something simple. Murder. Yes. And that's not what happens. Carl, he buys some scotch and bribes a guy at the morgue to tell him about one of the bodies because during the, the press conference with the police... They were talking about the strangled women and that one of them had like an injection spot like from a syringe and she was missing some of her blood. And Carl, of course, asked, well, does the other victim have that? And he's like, I don't know. It wasn't important at the time. We need to check. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And the cops are already like, who is this dick? (laughs) They hate him. From the get-go. Instantly. But Captain Schubert wants none of Kolchak from scene one. That's true. But Captain Schubert is a more competent police officer than Sheriff Butch. I will give him that. Yes. Yeah, I, I would say far more. He, he does show later that like he knows his, he knows his police work. Mm. And he's not just fully, you know, toeing the line. Right. Carl finally... And, and yeah, so the women are strangled and there are pieces of rotted flesh on their neck. And they are not just choked. Their spines are shattered, mm-hmm. which is something no regular human could possibly do. So Carl immediately is like, undead Superman. Man, you know, and one of the one of the witnesses said they look like a corpse. It's a whole thing. He heads down to the research library there in the building and meets up with Mr. Titus Barry, who discovers that there was a similar rash of killings in 1952. Kolchak stonewalled by the police who want to have details of the murders kept secret. Out of curiosity, Barry researches farther back on his own. This little dude with his little visor being all weird. He's just looking through everything. He finds out there were another series of murders in 1931. 
And Barry and Kolchak discover that similar murders have been occurring every 21 years since 1889, with each series of murders taking place over a period of 18 days. Kolchak determines that the killer needs the blood for an elixir of life, which keeps him alive for 21 years at a time. And of course, no one believes Kolchak. So we got 21 years. We got some straight up Pennywise action in this. How does Carl know about an elixir of life? Well, he goes to the local college. Now, why does he go to the college? Because he's got a new friend who he has met to interview. A belly dancer who is going to the college. Who, who I think is one of the standouts in this too. She's way more. She has way more personality than Kolchak's girlfriend from the first. Yeah, yeah, Louise Harper is completely capable. Yes, like she she belly dances at night. She goes to school all day. She's studying all the time, and she's hel- he, she helps on several jaunts here, and they all. Mm. She's very capable. Yeah, Carl met Louise Harper about the same time that he met Charisma Beauty and her husband, Wilma Crankheimer. Now, Charisma is also a belly dancer. Mm -hmm. Wilma is her loving husband slash, mm, not pimp, I would say manager. Manager, yeah. She she keeps make sure she goes because yeah. charisma a little flighty, not the best with keeping track of. Uh, they make it seem like she's not good at keeping track of anything. No, at all. No, no. But Louise tells Kolchak that if he wants to talk to somebody about vampires and werewolves and ghosts and ghouls, then he's got to go to the college and talk to Professor Hester Crabwell because she is the local expert on all that shit. Now you're thinking. How does Louise know that Carl's into vampires and stuff? Oh, it's because on their date to the Space Needle, in the elevator, Carl proceeds to tell her all about the story of the Night Stalker, how the police had him on a rap for murder because he, in fact, put a stake through a vampire's heart, while an entire elevator full of other people uncomfortably listen to this story, knowing they're on an elevator with a murderer. Yes. Something this does more than the last two. Carl seems crazy. Yes. He seems unhinged. He because seems, yeah. he because he knows it's the truth and so he's just saying it like it's fact, but it's and it shouldn't be hidden. It should yeah. just be it, this is yeah. what it is. Why why put on airs about it? But he doesn't realize the level of madness that it sounds like. Or he doesn't care. That yeah, that is a probably it's, a big it's part. It's one of the two because there's a couple of times people are like, "Do you realize what you just said?" And he's like, "Yeah, I said it." And it's like, "Oh, he knows what he's doing. He just doesn't care that he's making people uncomfortable." Yeah, I mean, he has a couple of meetings with Vincenzo in the early part of this where he's telling him about the stuff that he's discovered. Vincenzo is very much there with him. He's writing notes. He's driving things. And then Carl just pushes and pushes and pushes the supernatural angle. And Tony's like, I can't write this, Carl. And, you know, gets really red in the face. Very, the oh, my gosh. And he drinks so much milk. So much milk. Just gallons. The big thing about Professor Hester Crabwell, which I, I know we're not going to talk about a bunch of the actors and actresses, but it's played by Margaret Hamilton, mm-hmm. who, other than this... I mean, easily most known as the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. Yep. And then this. And I don't really know her of anything else except for that Mr. Rogers episode where she was the Wicked Witch telling kids not to be afraid that it wasn't real. Yeah. Other than that. That's like a 30-year gap. I don't, yeah, I don't see yeah. her a lot. I mean, she, I'm sure she's done a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah. But it's great. It's great seeing her in this. She does such a great job telling Carl all about alchemy. Oh, and yeah. And the fact that. Alchemists would would have these very strict diets to continue their life, and they would do all their alchemical processes in their labs in order to try to make an elixir 
of life, which is interesting. They didn't use like a philosopher's stone or something like that. They didn't go the route of changing elements. They've went the route of immortality, immortality, which isn't something I feel like isn't something in a lot of fantasy fiction that you think of alchemists with immortality as much as you think of them changing the elements, which that may be because of things like full metal alchemists and stuff like that. But still, Uh, she also mentions the Count St. Germain, Mm -hmm. which Maybe that's the only movie I've ever seen mention him. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I think whoever wrote this really done their research. Well, well, Richard Matheson wrote this script, but it's based off the Jeff Rice book. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Jeff Rice book, the main villain is confronted as being him. Oh. And just blow, he doesn't deny it. He just kind of like blows it off. But in this, they don't do that. But in the book, it is brought up that he could very well reach all the way back. Like, he is that alchemist she was talking about. In the office. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, she takes him serious. She doesn't laugh at him or think he's crazy. No, she mostly tells him to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And just sit down and, like, not... Yeah. Yes. So, next up, we've got Barry uncovers further clues in an interview with Mark Twain. Mark Twain, of all people, leading to a Dr. Richard Malcolm, a surgeon in the Union Army during the Civil War, who was one of the original staff at Seattle's Westside Mercy Hospital, a place that we'll see a couple times in this. The doctor claims to have found immortality with the help of blood. Though the hospital is long gone, Kolchak goes to the clinic, standing on the site in the hopes that it might still have the hospital's old records. Inside the front door, in the lobby no less, he finds a painting of the clinic's founder, Dr. Malcolm Richards, who is the splitting image of Richard Malcolm. And how do we know that? Because Carl Kolchak climbs on top of a bookcase and uses a marker to draw all over this oil painting. Yes, it's the greatest. <laughs> he gets it. He gets in a phone booth. He calls Barry. He gets in the phone booth past an old woman who stares very angrily at him as he talks on the phone. And Carl pays no attention. Yeah. To uh, she doesn't exist. He's on the hunt. Uh, he calls Barry to meet him there. Of course, after he's drawn on it, uh, he gets arrested. Yeah. And this arrest comes hot on the heels of him going into the chief of police, uh, the, the police captain's uh, office, and basically telling him, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You're doing it completely wrong. Because Carl Louise, they went on a tour of the Seattle Underground. Carl believes that maybe the guy is hiding out in the Underground or traveling. And it's a legit thing in Seattle. They they did build up after fires and stuff that you can go into an underground. There's underground tours. And they used it really effectively in this in this movie. But he's basically telling the, the police captain, like, he tells him all about the murders and the 21 years. He talks about the underground and the police, the police captain's like, yeah, we know, brother. And then starts telling him all the stuff that Carl got wrong. Tells him they've searched the underground and found nothing. And then asks how long Carl has been in Seattle. And... He does it in the way of Carl being like, I've been here for a couple weeks. He's like, well, I've been a police for this. I thought he was going to do it in the way of like, seems like you came around about the time these murders started. That's immediately what I thought too. I thought maybe he got in a hold of Las Vegas and they'd be like, well, this guy thought somebody was a vampire yeah, and killed him. I, I, yeah. think, I think if there was a missed opportunity, that's it. In yep. this. Like that's the thing they could have done so they can hold something over his head a little bit. Yeah. But I, I still like the way it went, but that that was an opening that I it swerved me a little. Especially since like you've seen the Night Strangler a couple of times. He wears a trench coat and he has a hat. Bucket hat. Bucket hat. He doesn't look that dissimilar to Kolchak. That's very true, yes. So, I mean... Also, speaking of him, we get to see... Yeah, like you said, we get to see him a couple of times. We see him committing his murders. There's also a time in and out that it very much mimics what we saw with Scorzeny 
in the Night Stalker. Yes. Where the police are on the chase for this guy. They roll up on him. He's got a bloody syringe in his hand and a dead woman at his feet. And they're like, hey, buddy, <laughs> stop. And then he just takes off. So they chase him in cars. He's running full bore. They get out. They're chasing him in alleyways. they got shotguns. Kolchak stumbles right into him. He starts choking Kolchak out. Yep. The cops come. They're all fighting. Kolchak stops fighting, starts trying to take pictures. He jumps a fence. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar to the way Scorzini jumped it at the pool. And just like Scorzini, they put bullets all in him. They did. They, they did show them missing more this time. Or I guess maybe the squibs went off. Bad time, but it looked like the police were missing more this time than they were last time. So I guess I guess it gives some plausible deniability that well maybe this guy is just a guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But he did just pick pick up several people with like one hand basically and slammed them down. So he's he's something freakish monster. He, and all the witnesses say he looks like a corpse. Yes, except for a couple outliers that say he was very handsome. A couple outliers, but those were during the end. Yes, of his series of murders. Yep, we've got Kolchak. He's been arrested because he drew all over this painting. And the cops just like, leave him in the cuffs, boys. And so you've got his boss at the paper. Not Vincenzo, but the big boss, Llewellyn Crossbinder, who is very much a no-nonsense, fact-only reporting. He He doesn't even necessarily want, he doesn't even really want a crime beat. He wants a lot of like, I don't know, flower parade articles? yeah. He, he's yeah. very much in the, it's almost tourist time for Seattle. So, like, nothing nothing here, you know? Crossbinder, Vincenzo, we've got Captain Schubert there, and Kolchak's sitting there, and he's like, come on, guys. Like, this, I mean, he's trying to tell them about it. And then Barry shows up with a folder, and he's got paperwork, he's got pictures and everything. So, Carl starts laying it out. He's laying out the 21-year change. He's showing the original painting of the um, Civil War doctor. He's showing the one that he drew on of the doctor that was in Seattle. And that Llewellyn Crossbinder is like, Dr. Malcolm Richards is a saint. Like, do not besmirch his name. He did tons for Seattle. They're doing all that. Carl lays it all out. The whole thing. Nobody is denying anything he's saying at that point. And much like in the Night Stalker, they asked to have a meeting amongst themselves for him to step outside. He's going to get the cuffs off and all that. They come out. The police chief's talking to uh, Crossbinder. You think that maybe they're making some headway. Crossbinder comes out and like pats Kolchak on the shoulder and smiles at him, which is very creepy because he's Mm. a very tall man. Very tall, skeletony man. Yes, very tall. And then Vincenzo comes out and is like, well, Carl... I got you off the hook, brother. It just—it's yeah. just for him to be assigned to go cover a a flower festival. Yeah, like he's no longer on the case whatsoever. He's no longer on the story. Not well, only is he no longer on the story, there is no more story. No the, more story. The done. police are just going to handle it. Yep, that's it. They're gonna, you know, and that's the thing. Like the police captain said when he talked about going into the underground, and Carl was surprised he didn't know. And he's like, "Oh, sorry, we didn't consult you." On doing our police work. And it's just similar to that. Like, they're yeah. doing their own thing. You're you're not a part of this anymore. So Carl is supposed to go the next day um, out of the city to check out this flower action. And instead, uh, Kolchak and Louise, they want to stop the killer. So they start stalking around the alleyways and stuff to see if someone will come and try to kill her. Yeah. You know, Carl doesn't have a gun. No. He's got his camera and his recorder. <laughs> And that's it. Yeah. And she almost actually does get taken. Very close. Yeah. But yeah. then the police show up 
and boom, get his ass again. Get her too. Get her uh, too. Take her, I guess, take her to her home or whatever. But she's probably five feet from death. You know, but they don't they don't let that stop them. Hmm. Because as Carl is getting bailed out from that second time by Vincenzo, who he, he he's appreciative, but he's still like cracking on Vincenzo like crazy. And Louise is just like, you're going to give that man a heart attack. I've never seen someone so close to the edge. Just, yeah. Somebody from outside is looking in, Carl, like you're being a dick. There's a point where Vincenzo turns purple. Yeah. Like, at, at wait, while he's paying the bell at the thing, Carl says something, and Vincenzo just erupts. I was like, man. But that's also when we see that the police find out that the final victim has been taken. Mm-hmm. And so Carl's just straight up yelling at the cops, like, good for you, great job, now you, he's going to be gone, you did it, he's out of here, you know. Carl kind of figures something out. Yeah. And that is in the Seattle underground, under the old clinic that Dr. Malcolm Richards had, there's access. So he and Louise just flaunt, just straight up in front of the law. They just go and break in and climb into the basement, start working their way through. Kolchak finds the preserved ruins of Westside Mercy Hospital and sends Louise to summon the police. He's like, look, we found it. You got to go get him. He's going to be down here. Because he knows time is of the essence. This guy is going to disappear for another 21 years. And uh, much like Pennywise, you got to get him when you can get him. Kolchak finds the latest victim of the Night Strangler, an old tramp he had seen earlier during the tour of Seattle Underground. Yes. Now, that is another victim, but not... <sighs> kind of like in The Night Stalker. He killed like that orderly at the hospital. Yeah. This tramp who had a million body ailments, apparently, <laughs> and... Carl paid him money to find stuff out. Yes. Was killed by this man, but not not in the way that it relates to any type of immortality. Just, you got murdered, buddy. Yeah, he got in the way. Yeah. Got, got. It's basically another one of those, like, it's kind of Carl's fault. Yeah. That guy wouldn't, he obviously wouldn't be down there if it wasn't for Carl, like, offering him money to, like, do that. Dr. Richard Malcolm, a.k.a. Dr. Malcolm Richards. And that's the thing, too. When you're changing your identity, he just switched the names. Yeah. He just switched the names. He's got the same scar. He's got everything. He's even still a doctor. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. People didn't. How is he keeping up with modern medical practices? Uh, You know? I don't know if you saw his lab. He wasn't. (laughs) Yes, very true. (laughs) So Dr. Richards, he's alerted to Kolchak being down there. Kolchak stumbles in, and he finds the underground. There's fog everywhere. There's what appears to be a thousand car or a thousand wagon pileup. There's busted up wagons as far as the eye can see. Spoked wheels abound. They're everywhere. The Seattle Underground's my favorite part of this whole thing. It's so cool. It's it's so awesome. There's uh, like yes. creepy statues and signs. And, and, and everything's just placed weird. Yeah, it's great. And it, I, I'm sure it's a soundstage or a set or something. Yeah, but it's so cool. It's, it's so, so cool. awesome. He ends up in, I guess, the living quarters. Hmm of Dr. Richards. And it's it's so cool that I almost am surprised that it was on TV at the time because it's just these cobwebs and much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's just like, here's a table with bodies all around it. Like mummies, yeah. Yeah, just emaciated corpses. And as he's looking around, he's taking pictures. There's a phonogram playing some upper record. He just stops it because it's annoying him. <laughs> obviously alerting someone that he's there because he turned off the music. Yeah. Also, the one thing that would, I don't know, keep people from hearing him. Also in the very dark, shadowy Seattle underground, he's taking pictures with his flash. Flash, full on. He don't care. He does not. He does <laughs> not. He's just, he's he's on, he, he's he's got his blinders on. He's just yep. on a mission. And his mission 
is to touch this coffee. He finds a <laughs> plate of food. Those peas looked super fresh. Yes. It was peas, mashed potatoes, maybe steak, some type of gray meat. Yep. It looked very much like a TV dinner put on a plate. There's some wine there and a cup of coffee, and Carl puts his finger in it. Ah, it's hot, which means it's fresh. Yes. So somebody was eating with all those dead bodies soon. He's like, well, i got to take a pic of this. He gets back to take a picture. And boom, Dr. Malcolm comes at him hard as hell. Knocks him right on his ass. Yeah, he does. And that's when you get the reveal. You get to see, which they definitely point out, the big white scar over his right eye. Mm -hmm. Like that's been the defining thing in all of the paintings and photos of him is this scar. And so you see this scar and also not looking like a corpse. No. Besides the scar, he looks Yeah, he healthy. looks like he's ready to rock. Yep. And so, I, you know, you see where there's that thing where somebody would be like, oh, he was a handsome-looking man that attacked. Yeah. Because, obviously, as he takes these treatments, the aging reverses, and he starts working his way back until once the last treatment is done. And we find out about that because Malcolm decides to just monologue and tell Carl about every damn bit of it before he kills him. He's probably lonely. Well, he was talking to the mummies. He was. Yeah, oh. he, you can tell he's a little bit off his rocker. Malcolm uh, tells Carl that he first tried the elixir in 1868 and he hoped to spread the knowledge of immortality to the world. Which, I mean, yeah. he's He's just like... What could humans accomplish if they weren't worried about sickness or dying? And that's, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. But it didn't quite work out. And in 1889, he started aging again. Yes. And his family died in that Seattle fire, which caused the underground to exist in the first place. Yeah. So he was working on making the effects permanent, and it just so happens that the blood is a part of it. And it's the blood that's taken within, like, seven seconds of traumatic death. I guess I gotta have fear hormones. It's like it's like adrenochrome or something. I don't know. It is like it. Because that's what Pennywise's whole thing is. Yes, it is very yeah. much like it. He he might very well be Pennywise, the clown as well. I've never seen them both in the same spot. Seattle to Derry. It's a quick jaunt, I guess. In the yeah. underground, they both they both live underground. There's a lot of similarities here. Did, did I did they kind of imply, and I missed it, that he started the Seattle Fire, or was it just it so happened? I think it's just so happened. Okay. Although they asked to see him doing it. Yeah, because he's in a lab. It's got Bunsen burners and like a lot of bottles. Yeah, and his plan is is just to continue. Like he's like, okay, I've got to take this one. He shows Carl that he's got tubes and beakers everywhere, and he's got this final vial that's filling up and he's like, I gotta take this final dose. And he looks at his stopwatch. looks like maybe a minute or two before like 5am and he's going to have to take it. And then he'll be good for 21 more years. And that gives him 21 years to perfect this thing to where he doesn't have to kill again. Mm -hmm. But Carl's like, yeah, but if you don't, then and he's like, yeah, but what are a few lives compared to immortality for the human race? Which I would say that Big Pharma would say the same thing. Yeah, it's a slope. It's You're a, on a slope. slippery, slippery slope, Dr. Malcolm. Slippery. Or should I say Dr. Richards? Or Dr. Malcolm Richards? Or Dr. Richards Malcolm? <laughs> Dr. Malcolm Malcolm? I, yeah. Not enough different names for him. So, you know, he's getting ready to take this, and he, then he's going to kill Carl. But hey, Carl's got his story. It's true. And then Carl's like, nope. So he picks up this glass candle holder and chucks it at the beaker and shatters it. Destroyed. The reason this happens isn't because Carl smartly did this. The reason Carl did this was because moments before, Dr. Richards told him that if he didn't drink it, that the aging process would rapidly happen. Yes. 
Yes. He just told Carl how to stop him. Also, Carl knew that this would kill him. Yes. And then, much like in the Night Stalker, Carl's like, you done, son, and just throws it <laughs> and shatters it. And then, he, and you see the rage in his eyes of like, he knows. He knows that Carl has killed him. Mm-hmm. And so then he comes for him, and he starts choking him real good. Yeah, oh, yeah. But it doesn't last long because that body starts breaking down, and we get to see a couple stages of this weird, decay, old makeup, and it is wild. It's good, though. It's good. It's great. Yeah. Um, it looked Actually, it looked just like... They did a, um, what do you call it, like a witness drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did that earlier, and they're like, ah, oh, this looks like a zombie. But it looked just like the dude. Yes. It, w- it was crazy. Yeah. About that time, he's just like, ah, oh, he's all hunched over and he's getting older. And the cops bust in, and they see him, and he's just like, damn. And then he just jumps out a window. Then they all go to the window. There's a great shot of them looking out over the windowsill down onto the street of the underground. And in the fog is his body. I fully expect it to be a skeleton. Oh, yeah. You know, like it just yeah. kept going until it was just he just turns basically to dust. Like he got Indiana Jones yeah. or something. But it didn't. Not that it matters, because that stops. Next scene, Carl whistling his ass off, coming into the newsroom, ready to rock the paper is shown to him and wouldn't you know it it's identity unknown killer the killer killer found identity unknown yeah but he's like what do you mean he goes in and of course also as carl comes into the into the office he sees his desk all his stuff is boxed up he's done yeah he's done and he knows and he's just like well yeah he goes to vincenzo's office and he's like what do you do you can't you can fire me fine but like you can't print the truth and vincenzo's like look carl this isn't and he shows him. They printed 20 copies of that paper before Crossbinder shut it down and didn't want the truth told. Yep. Vincenzo tried. To, d- d- Vincenzo saw the story and was going with the story, which I feel like he was also doing in the Night Stalker. But the cops just took over that and just went on with it, you mm-hmm. know, because they wrote that story for Carl. In this one, Vincenzo was doing it. He was publishing the news as crazy, and he even talks about it, it's like. Why did I think they would print this? But he did because, yeah. I mean, the it's, facts were there. It's what the facts lead to, yeah. And so Carl throws a fit and then throws like this like a paperweight yeah. like, through the window. He's pissed. <laughs> it's mad. And then Vincenzo gets a call and is like, yeah, I'll be upstairs. Yep. Everything goes down. And then Carl, you got Carl and Louise and like Vincenzo. Mm-hmm. And they're all in a car. Yeah. Because Vincenzo was fired. And much like the quote-unquote casino girl in the first one, mm-hmm. this quote-unquote belly dancer of Louise, Miss Harper, she also was basically told, get out of here. Yeah. And so she she and Carl and Vincenzo, this oddball trio, taken off through the night, where will they end up? Well, I mean, we eventually find out that at least Carl and Vincenzo end up in Chicago. But New York's what he says. He says, yes. he says you're going to love New York. You're going to love, that's where we're getting. And then Vincenzo's like, New York. He said, yes, where we're we going. New York. Yes. Let's get in a car. They're going to yep. drive. And then there's no further any of them in New York. Oh. Uh, yeah. They go straight to Chicago for, in the next year, for the Night Stalker television uh, series. Um, is all in Chicago. But it's great. It was super fun. It's so good. So good. The Carl and Tony dynamic is perfect. Yes. It's perfect. Them screaming at each other in his office, and they're like, like Carl almost knows what he's going to say, so they scream it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like those, he, They scream, get out at each other, or, or he's teasing him about reading the headline. and It's great. And you can 
kind of tell, or I kind of got the impression mm-hmm. that they were building a cast for show because you got Carl and Vincenzo, and then you got the 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 girl. I was like, oh, okay, this is the cast. Yeah, because at, at that point. Even if they're doing a show a year later, they know they're doing a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Louise Harper doesn't come back into play, hmm. but that's just the way the women are in Carl's life. But she didn't die. But she didn't die. She didn't die. She did not die. There were a few of them that did, sadly, mm. such as uh, Charisma Beauty. Yeah. Yeah, I sad to see her go. He came for her in her dressing room. In the in the uh, in the club. The club. Yeah. 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 And I mean, the club was open. He just uh, desperate, I guess. And uh, Wilma was in there, and she's kind of a little brute, but uh, he, he shoved her he, aside. Yeah, he busted her eye up real good. Yeah, yeah, just kind of batted her, and she was gone. There's a lady managing a restaurant, mm-hmm. or, I, or she's a waitress. I'm not sure what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, it re- she's listed as the restaurant woman. So she is in fact a woman in a restaurant. That is true. And it's like she's doing the books. Yeah, and he's messing with the uh, door handle, and she's like, oh, "We're closed. Please come back later." And of course, she's weirded out because she's in there by herself. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves, right? This guy's super strong. Instead of just like tearing the door open, he just jumps through a window. <laughs> just yep. leaps through the window, through a table. Not even gracious. Like, he does like a front roll. Yeah. And then just pops up and comes after her. Yeah. And then she's just gone. There weren't a lot of talk back of like women fighting back or like, this is a weird predicament they're in. It's just like, these women were strangled and their necks were basically just turned to powder from being crushed. Yes. And even back to the very first victim... She knows she's been followed. Mm-hmm. She gets she makes it to the street. Yes. Now, now, I love all things Kolchak. Yes. And sometimes we got to call some stuff out because it's a little weird. <laughs> so the very first victim, she's running in the alley. She sees the guy. She, you see Doctor Malcolm in his bucket hat, in his trench coat. Yep. Kind of silhouetted, chasing after her, right? She's escaping. She runs out into the street, almost gets plowed by a taxi, and she's like, "Oh, oh, no, let me." And he just drives off. She's like. Shit. She runs to the corner and then just takes a breath and stands there and yeah. lights up a cigarette and just starts chilling. And then is immediately captured. Like she is like she forgot this guy was chasing her. I, I that's the only like it's a it's a glaring weirdness. Or she thought she was safe because she's out in the open. I guess. But she wasn't. No, not at all. No. It's still dark and no one is around. Yeah, and people won't even help you. There are no cars on the street. There's nothing going on. Oh, my gosh. Hey, that was a choice that Dan Curtis made, and I trust his his direction on that because otherwise, fantastic. So (laughs) whatever the thought process was for that, I'm sure there was one. Yep. Also, this movie's funnier than the first one. Yes. It, yes. It, it, there's, and there's funny moments in the first one, but they're like incidentally funny. Mm-hmm. I, I think in this one, they def, they made they made Carl and Tony a little more of a back-and-forth comedy duo to offset the grimness, maybe. Maybe, yeah. And I guess Carl just gave up trying to present facts, and he's just yelling at everybody and hoping someone will listen. Yes, he, he's fully on a believer in this pretty early because yes. he just murdered a vampire. A year before. Yeah. And so he's, that's how he is in the series as well. Like once he finds out something, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. And he wants to tell everybody and nobody will listen. He doesn't understand how crazy he sounds. And it's just, it's, it's all, it's all around amazing. The Night Strangler is, is, it's great. Oh yeah. And they both stand up. I feel like you probably do need to watch Night Stalker before just because there's a few, there's a few little references. There there, there are callbacks to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it'll make more sense 
Mm-hmm. They they hold up completely in like those those shots in the Seattle underground, like when he's in that that uh, the hospital and he's looking down, it's like hundreds of feet to the floor. Yeah, and it's it's like I, I think it's all practical. Um, I know there's matte paintings probably in mm-hmm. it, and you know they're in. A, I don't know what they're in, but like it's such a, it's such good set design. It's you can tell they had probably more money for this one. One of my favorite shots is like you know generally the camera is is very steady and you know probably on dollies or whatever. Yet whenever he's amongst the police, oh yeah, it's very shaky and handheld, and he's like moving from one policeman to the next. And he's trying to get the captain to tell him what's going on, and it's very shaky. And then pans back out to that smooth shot after they're gone. But while the shit's going down, it's shaky and it's it's just so good. It feels like a documentary. Yeah, it's so yeah. it's so great. It's it, so great. It, also, Seattle has a lot of of motorcycle cops. A lot. Yes. Like yes. maybe more than regular police. Yeah, they all had those helmets. <laughs> even when they were in the car. To be fair, even when they were in cars, they were wearing the helmets. I guess you gotta be safe. Yeah. I guess. Things could fall on their heads. Yeah. Going in the underground, I guess. Yeah. I also like when Louise Harper, before we even meet her, uh, Kolchak goes to her house. It's on like a houseboat or something on mm-hmm. the dock. She gets out. She's like, I got to make it. I got to go to school. I'm failing my grade. I got time. He thinks She thinks she's a salesman. And he's like, don't you know there's a murder? And he's like, she's like, yeah, but I also know Seattle's one of the biggest ports in the world. And that guy's probably in like Hong Kong by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's unconcerned. Yeah. She's and realistic. Yeah. It, it, takes, it takes a couple people she knows to get killed before she really is proactive in stopping him. And she never buys into him. She never she never buys into Colchat's thing. Mm-mm. She doesn't think it's an immortal guy. She's just like, well, he this guy killed my friend, and I can help. And the police aren't doing anything, so or they aren't doing enough. I don't know which way she thought. I know Colchak thought that he they needed to do what he wanted them to do, which he says at one point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's the Night Strangler. Yeah. And so you're saying you like it more than the Night Stalker? I think that the Night strangler is an easier watch yeah despite being more complicated because the night stalker scarier yeah the night stalker is more of a horror movie mm-hmm. and the night strangler i feel like is just more of these guys are established here's how seattle goes you know like it's mm-hmm. i don't know i just feel like it feels more accessible to me oh, yeah it's got a better supporting cast i think nice so, thumbs up or thumbs up. Oh, down. yeah. Thumbs up, both of them. Thumbs up, both of them. Yeah, right. yeah. I like it. I like it. And so, that is The Night Strangler, the second episode here of the Kolchak Legacy Podcast. Thank you so much for the listens we've already received. You're, we're available everywhere that you listen to podcasts. And please, by all means, follow, rate, and leave us a review. Leave us a review for all of this Kolchak stuff. Let us know what your favorite Kolchak moments are because we're going to be going through all of these and I want to hear what you guys dig. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram at the Kolchak Legacy where we put up just random clips from shows or pictures, whatever, whatever Kolchak-related thing we want to post. And if you want to uh, send a message, chat it up, you can always hit up the Kolchak Legacy at gmail.com, and I will do my best to get back with you. Who, once again, I am Jason Stevens. This is the Kolchak Legacy podcast, and you, you are making the world better by listening to this. How? I don't know, but hey, let's make some new fans. Let's spread the word of Kolchak, the cult of Kolchak, to the people. See you later. Thank you for listening to this Super Spectrum Radio production. 